The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We've also seen, on the whole, a systemic problem with companies built on basically surveilling people uh, and using their data and providing some services back, not really doing a good job at all with, with privacy and security and not acting unless, for example, they get a consent order from the FTC or they get dragged in a congressional hearing or in the press. And so, you know, I'm sure on top of everything else that Twitter will really be thinking hard about its next, its next moves here. I'm Stephanie Pellin. This is the Lawfare Podcast, September 8th, 2022. On August 23rd, the Washington Post published a story about a whistleblower complaint filed by Peter Zatko, the former security lead and member of Twitter's executive team responsible for information security, privacy, physical security, and information technology. In the whistleblower complaint, Zatko describes extreme problems and deficiencies with the security, privacy, and integrity of Twitter's platform. The complaint also alleges that since 2011, Twitter's senior executives have engaged in making false and misleading statements to users and the Federal Trade Commission about Twitter's privacy, security, and integrity. I sat down with Justin Sherman, a fellow at the Atlantic Council Cyber Statecraft Initiative, to discuss some of the most interesting aspects of the complaint. We talked about some of the background leading up to the filing of the complaint, some of its most significant alleged privacy and security violations, and what to look for in the upcoming congressional hearing on the complaint. It's the Lawfare Podcast, September 8th. Justin Sherman on the Twitter whistleblower complaint. Justin, before we delve into the specifics of the complaint, can you tell us a bit about just who Peter Zatko is? A hundred percent. So Peter Zatko is actually better known as Mudge, who really, I would say, is one of the world's most famous hackers. Uh, He was part of the hacking group Loft uh, in the 1990s, as well as uh, this other group, the Cult of the Dead Cow. He's worked at Google. He's worked at DARPA. He uh, founded this group with his wife, who is former NSA, that does uh, cybersecurity independent testing. So the list really goes on. But you know, he has tons of expertise in the space. He's extremely well known, and really brings a lot of cybersecurity experience and credibility to the table. So is it fair to say then that his background and reputation bring a certain credibility to this complaint from the outset? 
I think so. Yes. You know, he has a reputation as a straight shooter, uh, as someone who will, as he's done in front of Congress in the 90s, call problems like they are, call out cybersecurity failures for what they are. Uh, and so all of that credibility uh, on top of his background comes with this whistleblower complaint. So the early part of the complaint describes something called an ethical disclosure dilemma. And it says that Mudge is proceeding with the disclosures in this complaint quite reluctantly. Can you talk a bit about this dilemma as it is described in the complaint? Yeah, Mudge talks about the idea of responsible security disclosure in the cybersecurity community, essentially the idea that uh, if you are an ethical hacker and you find a flaw in a system, you you know, want that flaw to be fixed. But you have to think about how you go about sharing that information because you could post about the flaw right away, for example, to try and shame the company into action. But, uh, you know, they might not be able to act quickly. And so you might give someone an instruction uh, manual, essentially, for how to exploit that vulnerability. And so there's this question of how you go about managing that information, how you might approach uh, the manufacturer of a system or the maintainer of a system with that vulnerability. Uh, And so in the complaint, Mudge kind of ties that idea in the hacking community to his disclosures and his allegations saying that essentially he tried to follow that kind of process within Twitter, tried to you know, push improvements from inside the company, uh, but is now saying, okay, I've reached the point where, you know, I tried to do what I could in an ethical way without tipping people off as to these problems. But, you know, I have an obligation at this point to go public with this information. So before we dig into the details of the complaint, I also want to talk about an important historical event that frames this whistleblower complaint. In 2011, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, filed a complaint and entered into a consent order with Twitter. Can you tell us generally what this 2011 complaint was about and what the consent order required Twitter to do? This is a really important point because it, it marks the start of an interesting FTC Twitter relationship in the privacy and security space, but also because it's referenced now in what what Mudge is alleging today. And so uh, in 2011, the FTC entered into a consent agreement, so a court-approved settlement agreement with Twitter. And this was after the FTC alleged a couple things. The first is that from about July 2006 to July 2009, Twitter gave most of its employees the ability to get administrative control of the Twitter system. So these employees could reset people's passwords, they could see people's private tweets, they could tweet on users' behalf, they could access uh, other non-public information about users, You know, presumably the kind of stuff you put in when you create your account. Uh, And it it alleged that these employees could just go onto Twitter.com and literally log in like anyone else would and get that admin access. So that was the first part of this 2011 FTC complaint. The second piece is that the FTC alleged that hackers 
later in that window in 2009, exploited this administrative access system that they basically set up an automated password guesser to guess an employee's password. And then, uh, you know, I'll read a line from the, the complaint that I, I wrote down here. You know, the, the account they broke into, the password was, quote, weak, lowercase, letter only, a common dictionary word, unquote. And so, you know, they got in pretty easily. And then once they were in the system, uh, it says the hackers could access all of that stuff I mentioned, people's private tweets, their private information, they could reset passwords. And the complaint alleged that because of this widespread ability to access the admin settings, that hackers were able to send unauthorized tweets out, including from the Fox News account and other accounts. So all to say the FTC made these allegations and, and said that Twitter's claims that it had good security violated the FTC Act. And so Twitter agreed in 2011 to, A, not mislead people about its its uh, security and its privacy behavior for the next couple decades, and B, agreed to set up a comprehensive information security program that would be independently audited uh, over the next decade. And so there had already been, before we get to today, this Twitter FTC engagement, and the FTC already, over a decade ago, had been concerned about Twitter's uh, security and, and data privacy practices. So we have to then talk about what happened at Twitter in July of 2020. The whistleblower complaint that Mudge filed, it draws attention to the fact that Twitter was hacked by teenagers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right, right. Uh, yeah, in, in 2020, uh, a teenager in Florida hacked into former President Obama's account, then presidential candidate Joe Biden's Twitter account, accounts of Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, many other people, uh, and then through that encouraged people to send Bitcoin to an account uh, they had set up. So, you know, uh, <laughs> Florida teen hacks social media account of uh, billionaires and former presidents. It sounds like a it's like a war games <laughs> moment going on here. But that actually raises a good point, uh, which is that, you know, you do get these hacks with incredibly uh, sophisticated people, a la, you know, Matthew Broderick's character uh, typing away furiously and, and ripping into firewalls and, and whatnot. But a lot of the time, these hacks happen through simple exploitation of human behavior. And here, uh, Mudge's complaint says, the teens just pretended to be Twitter IT support, called up some Twitter employees, asked for their passwords and got them. And so, boom, they were in uh, the system and then, you know, were tweeting out from, from Bill Gates's account and, and others. So, you know, but going back to the journey of this FTC Twitter relationship, after this hack in 2020, the FTC drafted a complaint saying that Twitter had violated the 2011 uh, agreement actually for a different reason, uh, which is that they said that Twitter for years had been taking uh, users' phone numbers and email addresses, which users had handed over for account security, and used it to run targeted ads. And so, you know, again, you get this, this overlap where there's a big security incident, then the FTC comes out with a different complaint about Twitter security practices, and this is all very much in the news. And at least according to the whistleblower complaint, 
did those issues arising out of July 2020 eventually lead to Twitter's then CEO, Jack Dorsey, hiring Mudge to address the company's security problems? That's exactly what uh, Mudge says. And, and that's also what a lot of, of outside observers had believed to be the case, right? I mean, we see this time and time again, where big companies get breached or there's a big security incident. And for a number of reasons, including, you know, their own PR interests, they want to bring in a big name who is uh, extremely adept at, you know, identifying those kinds of problems. And so that's what Mudge says here is that's when Dorsey really looked to hire him and give him a super wide remit looking at cybersecurity and privacy and, and some of the things that had been in the news, but also looking at uh, corporate security, as in like physically securing Twitter's buildings and whatnot, and, and other kinds of issues. So with that background, let's turn to the concerns that Mudge raises in the complaint. The complaint says that, quote, Mudge discovers egregious deficiencies, negligence, willful ignorance, and threats to national security and democracy. And he breaks down these deficiency into a handful of categories, two of those being uh, privacy and security. So I want to talk about some of the most concerning privacy and security issues he identifies. Let's start with some of the privacy issues. What is alleged and which of these issues do you find the most concerning or significant? I mean, there is a ton. Uh, there's a ton in there. It's a long complaint. And I obviously encourage listeners to, to check it out. Um, you know, Mudge alleges that Twitter didn't really handle its internal data sets uh, well, didn't manage them properly with, with access and, and other things. He said that Twitter uh, is still allowing uh, ads to people using their emails and phones that they gave for security reasons. He actually specifically uh, claims that Twitter still continued to do this even after the FTC drafted its complaint. He, what else does he say? He says that Twitter uh, misled the FTC that it had deleted users' data when they got rid of their accounts. You know, the FTC asked Twitter this pretty directly. Twitter said they, quote unquote, deactivated those accounts fully. But in reality, Mudge claims Twitter actually had not really deleted people's information and apparently couldn't even account for some of these people's information. You know, he says Twitter violated some of the regulations around uh, cookies and user tracking in France, for example. So again, there's really a ton of, of different privacy issues raised in there. You know, all of it's concerning. To me, I think the marketing piece is highly concerning. Uh, it's an interesting intersection of, you know, lying to users about uh, what their information is used for, saying, just submit your email for account security, and then turning around and using it to target them with ads. It's a case of, in doing so, mishandling users' information uh, and exploiting their information. It's also a case, allegedly, of lying to the FTC, essentially, or misleading the FTC uh, about uh, security and privacy practices. So, you know, it's it's a real, uh, really concerning thing. We often think about probably Facebook when we think about advertising abuses, but these problems of, of quietly gathering and then using or misusing people's information and then running ads and other things is a much bigger 
much bigger problem. And then the internal data set management relates to the same issue. Certainly everyone's familiar with Cambridge Analytica and other cases where large tech companies have gathered data on people and not properly maintained access to it. So, you know, the allegation that Twitter has all of this internal data that's not really managed well uh, is, is very concerning as well. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, how about the security issues? Um, what are some of the most concerning allegations to you? The One of the big things up top is Mudge says Twitter has had an abnormal rate of security incidents. I, you know, certainly I am not the person to talk about that really or, or what constitutes too high or whatnot, but it really is a key allegation in there. He also claims, which relates to some of what we just talked about, that there aren't very good access controls vis-a-vis internal data you know, who can log in and see things from the employee side, who can get access to different internal systems. And then the last piece I'd raise, which sort of relates to maybe another issue to talk about uh, with foreign intel agencies, is that Mudge alleges that uh, Twitter does a really bad job of dealing with insider threats, saying that uh, it's essentially unmonitored uh, and that, you know, claiming that a few cases where insider threats were discovered that the company did not take uh, appropriate action to address those threats within the organization itself. And there's also a reference to the fact that Twitter was becoming too dependent on foreign revenue streams. I, I realize that aspects of the complaint are redacted, but but what did you make of that? Yeah, this is this is very interesting. Specifically, you know, the complaint says essentially that Twitter took some money from Chinese entities, and that's how it's described. Like you said, it's very vague. There are some redactions. The Chinese entities were giving money to Twitter, and there was concern as a result of that money giving that those Chinese entities would be able to access sensitive data on Twitter users, including people in China who were using Twitter. Which again, if you're using Twitter in China, you are not supposed to be using Twitter in China, and so not necessarily, or, or you know, the government wants to monitor you. So it's very vague. It's hard to know for sure what's being referenced there. But based on the way it's phrased, giving money to the platform and then concern that they hypothetically could access data, to me and and some others, that probably means advertising. And that probably means uh, it's an allegation of some Chinese entities buying ad access or running ads of some kind through Twitter 
where they're getting clickback data and then might be able to use that information to identify particular Twitter users in China uh, or in other places that they're trying to monitor. So this is highly concerning. Mudge claims in the complaint that uh, Twitter executives, like several people at Twitter, were very vocally concerned about this and the company proceeded anyway. And so this is just another illustration of the fact that when we're talking about these cybersecurity issues, we're not just talking about criminal hackers. We're also talking about uh, foreign nation states and other issues. And when we're talking about foreign governments and others accessing data, we're not just talking about hacks and we're not just talking about, you know, scraping social media. There are also many ways in the middle, whether it's, it's data brokers or this kind of ad access where a company with, with poor security or privacy practices can end up giving away sensitive information. And I'd have to note that you have done a lot of work on data brokers and both the privacy and security risks involved in the ecosystem of that industry. Um, it sounds like those concerns were raised for you as you were looking at this complaint. That's absolutely the case. You know, and again, it gets back to this question of what kind of data are companies collecting? How are they using that information? How are they sharing that with outside entities? Are there controls on that? A prime example is we've seen plenty of, of cases where social media companies, Facebook is, is one example, have enabled people to run blatantly discriminatory ads, you know, for example, running, you know, racist housing ads to people and that sometimes is something companies ignore. Sometimes they, they care a bit because there's a legal element to it. But there's really, really bad a lot of the time thinking in companies about data from a national security perspective. And um, there's certainly folks within lots of tech companies that are very sharp on this. But overall, the organizations don't really think about those kinds of things. And so, yeah, as we said, Mudge claiming that executives saw this Chinese money were concerned about it, thought that there might be a risk of data going to Chinese entities in a concerning way and then doing it anyway. That's, you know, that's exactly the kind of harm that happens when we don't have, you know, proper regulation of these activities. So according to the complaint, Mudge conveyed a number of these concerns to the senior executive team approximately one week before a board meeting. The complaint alleges, however, that Mudge was told not to send a detailed report of his findings to the board of directors, but only to convey his findings orally at a high level. What might we infer from, the, from this, and does this set off any alarms in your mind? It's an interesting uh, comment. I mean, boards, a lot of the time, are not going to get in the ridiculous weeds about things. In fact, that's often a challenge for CISOs is that uh, if, you're, if you're talking to the board, to bring it up to the board level and not be speaking kind of in the weeds from their standpoint. At the same time, you know, in general, if a company is keeping things from the board, that is not good. Uh, things are not uh, probably going well. And so, you know, I think the key thing is, which Mudge gets at, is he says he was brought in to deal with these issues you know, that Twitter knows, as they, they should have known, that he's a straight shooter and is going to see 
issues and try and identify issues and tell people what he sees is wrong. And as he's, he's sort of claiming, that just was not welcomed. Twitter was not uh, willing to really listen to the complaints that were being raised. And exactly to your question, the comment about the board of directors meeting, at least from his perspective, seems to suggest that they did not really want the board to have access to the more detailed information about these security assessments. So you know, it's always a challenge operating within an organization, being someone who wants to focus on cybersecurity or privacy when that's not what drives revenue. But it's it's definitely an alarm bell that he would say that they wanted this information uh, not provided to the board. So you hinted at this in, in your last answer, but fair to say that the complaint details a challenging environment from which to improve the platform's security. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, look, I've never been, I have a tech background. I've never been a CISO, right? But I don't think I've ever met a single CISO in my life who said their job was easy. Uh, and so uh, that's for a lot of reasons, right? The constant attention to threats, for example, constantly dealing with people buying and plugging in new technologies and all of these risks. But there's also a big piece of the challenge is just working within the organization. Companies don't want to spend on things that don't generate revenue. This is why privacy is a lot of the time a tense issue at technology companies. Security can be a tense issue at companies' risk and forecasting and all these kinds of things that don't directly, you know, in in an executive's mind anyway, add to the bottom line. And so there's lots of great people in many cases you know, like much of Twitter working on these issues, but, you know, every CISO I've ever known has had plenty of times fighting tooth and nail, uh, sometimes to get things done, having to work really hard on tying any security activity to business risks, to potential uh, legal liability, to the bottom line, to all of those central points of concern for the C-suite and for the board. And so, yeah, just, you know, reading this complaint, you come away with a very challenging environment to be raising security issues at Twitter. So we started this discussion or or framed it with these two rather kind of monumental events between the FTC and Twitter. And and now we have, you know, this 84-page complaint with attachments and and links. What might we expect to see from the FTC or what kind of response would you expect to see from them going forward? Yeah. The, I mean, the FTC is definitely going to respond. They are going to respond because they'll want to respond. They're also going to respond because they essentially have to respond. It would be a terrible uh, from their, you know, from their vantage point decision to have something like this happen, this high profile, get this much, media coverage and congressional attention, and then to not act on it. So I'm sure that the FTC is going to look into this. Previously in 2011, as as you had said from the beginning, the FTC had a complaint and then entered into a consent agreement with Twitter, where Twitter agreed to take some measures to improve security. This series of allegations put out 
really describes a, a scenario in which Twitter is not doing a lot of what it's supposed to be doing or is even misleading the FTC. And so I don't know. I wonder if this time around the FTC is going to go the route of wanting another consent order, if the FTC is going to go the route of we're going to file a lawsuit and we're going to fine you for what you've done, which the FTC does all the time. It goes after companies for all kinds of things and sometimes uh, finds them, you know, companies sometimes get fined $100 million or or more for different things. So uh, I would not be surprised if the FTC, if it finds this stuff to be true, to, uh, you know, take more aggressive action this time around. So you mentioned that after this complaint was made public in the press, there was a whole lot of media coverage. Uh, I, the the first story that I read, at least, was in the Washington Post, but several followed. And then after that, the Senate Judiciary Committee announced that it has scheduled a hearing on the complaint on September 13th. Last I checked, I didn't see a list of witnesses yet other than well, I think we can presume Mudge is going to be there. But what should we be looking for from that hearing? What questions would you want to ask Mudge? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, it's a good point. I haven't checked either. I, I, I'm not sure, like you said, if if it's just Mudge. I mean, that's that's a key question. Is, is it just going to be Mudge testifying? Might the committee try and get someone from Twitter to show up, in which case... You know, to me, there's no way that's going to be the CEO. That's going to be uh, the general counsel or, or some sort of policy person. You know, are they tr- going to try and get any other witnesses or whistleblowers or something? Right? There's a there's a set of questions there. What should be asked, I think, is about how Twitter handled the information that Mudge says he gave them. They should be asking questions about misrepresentations of activity to the public, to the FTC. That stuff's really, uh, if true, highly concerning and will result probably in some serious problems for Twitter. But what we'll see in practice, I have no idea. These hearings are always a mix. It's Congress, right? So a mix of, you know, really interesting questions uh, with tech, sometimes questions that are a little uh, off base. Uh, And then there's usually some partisan grandstanding vis-a-vis big tech. And so, you know, different members like to bash technology companies for different things. So I'm sure there could be some of that folks looking to highlight ways they're saying Twitter is terrible at security or Twitter is a surveillance uh, threat or, or something of that nature. So it's hard to predict, but politics is always part and parcel of these hearings. And I'm sure that will be the case you know, next, next Tuesday as well. But as you have discussed throughout this podcast, there, there are some really significant concerns potentially for Congress to investigate here. And, and if nothing else to raise, you know, the, the issue and perhaps even put more pressure on the FTC. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Right. And, and, and I don't mean to downplay that. Yeah. The issues here are huge and, it, it certainly, I think, will put more pressure on the FTC to have this stuff in a hearing. Again, especially if questions come up specifically about consent orders, specifically about the fact that Mudge says Twitter misrepresented some of its data security practices to the FTC. That is a huge issue. And so I'm sure it will compel more action. Again, it's it's going to, too, generate more 
Hill conversations about tech regulation. We've seen time and time again, you know, a number of bills that that are not great on tech or that miss the mark technically or whatnot. But we've also seen on the whole a systemic problem with companies built on basically surveilling people uh, and using their data and providing some services back, not really doing a good job at all with, with privacy and security and not acting unless, for example, they get a consent order from the FTC or they get dragged in a congressional hearing or in the press. And so, you know, I'm sure on top of everything else, that Twitter will really be thinking hard about its next, its next moves here. So Justin, before we wrap this up, any other thoughts that you'd like to share on this complaint and, and it's the privacy and security issues it raises? I would only add that we're in an interesting time with tech whistleblowing. There have been now a few pretty high profile whistleblowers from large technology companies who have raised issues publicly with what was going on, Francis Haugen being you know, the most recent example before Mudge, but Mudge is a much more established and known person than a lot of these others. That's not at all to diminish these other whistleblowers and, and whatnot, but to say that Mudge brings an even greater level of expertise and credibility and, you know, name brands and everything else to this. And so it's an interesting time to see how folks really are debating, in some cases, the pros and cons of leaking to the press, or in this case, outright uh, whistleblowing about bad cybersecurity practices that they see at their technology organization. Justin, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare Podcasts by becoming a Lawfare Material supporter at patreon.com slash lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our other podcasts, including Rational Security, Chatter, Allies, and The Aftermath, our latest Lawfare Presents podcast series on the government's response to January 6th. Check out our written work at lawfareblog.com. The podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Ian Enright of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thank you for listening.